we do that, I want to just give you a quick recap. If you have not been following along, this is week five of our God and Money series. So if you haven't been following along, I urge you, encourage you to go back and listen to those on our podcast or on our Facebook Live feed or on our YouTube channel. You can watch it there as well. But what we're talking about today is only possible because we've been building up to this point. So if you haven't uh, heard some of those, I just really challenge you, make sure you go and do that. Um, So we've been talking about the filter that we see God through. We've been talking about God as our provider. We've been talking about spiritual warfare in our finances. And then last week, Brandon knocked it out of the park talking about sowing and reaping. That was awesome, wasn't it? It was so good. And so today, we're getting into the nitty-gritty. We're diving into the practical side of money. And I know you guys are like, thank you, Rachel. I really wanted to hear a sermon on that. And all I can say is, you're welcome. So uh, anyways, I know for a fact, we are probably not all going to agree on what I'm going to say today. And you guys know, I'm okay with that. Are you guys okay with that? This is America, right? We can choose to believe what we want to believe. And God gives us free will to do that as well. My intention is to challenge you. So if at some point point today you feel challenged just be like oh yay she is accomplishing her goal instead of being offended with me that's a good good way to do that right um so we're talking about the practicals but before we dive into like the super nitty-gritty I want to sort of lay a foundation for something we have never talked about and I'm not sure I've heard it talked much about in the charismatic world of life either But Grant and I were talking the last several weeks throughout this series, and we both felt like if we don't talk about what I'm about to say, we're doing you a disservice, okay? So that being said, um, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3 real quick. This is in the ESV. And uh, you might say, what does this have to do with finances? Well, give me a moment and I'll explain that to you. It says for the, uh, the, oh, let me just say, this is verse 3. Verse 2 is the one you guys all know about renewing your minds, Okay. So it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, amen, but to think with sober judgment. And then the bottom part is what I want you to see, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So I want to talk for just a moment about this idea that we all have a measure of faith. So do me a favor real quick and flex a muscle in your body. Just real quick, just a muscle, right? Everybody goes for the bicep, right? Uh, flex a muscle in your body. Okay, so I want you to think about faith like your muscle, okay? We all have it. We all have a muscle. How we choose to use that muscle is our measure of muscle density. You guys tracking with this picture? So when we talk about faith, and especially in regards to finances, I think we need to take Romans 12.3 very seriously and not consider ourselves higher than we ought to and be honest about the muscle density that we have. So if you're like me and you have not been to the gym in too long to even count the days, your muscle density might not be as strong as those who work out every day and are very dedicated to building their muscles. Can we just agree with that, right? And so when we think about faith, Sometimes we think our faith should all be the same, but all faith is not created equal. It is only how you choose to exercise it. So think about it this way. If I say to you, guys, I'm telling you, the word of the Lord is sell everything you have and tomorrow you're going to wake up with it all replenished back to you. Some of you guys might be like, I'm believing it. And then you do it and then you're like, oh, you jerk, this did not come back, and now I'm poor, and I'm on food stamps, and I can't help myself, right? Why? Because the measure of our faith often determines the outcome, okay? 
Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up, and I know this is like Indiana Jones stepping out onto the sure hoping there's a bridge underneath him moment. I know that we all have different experiences with faith. We all have reasons why we use our faith the way that we do, and all of those are valid, okay? But what I think we need to understand is when we look at financial messages, when we listen to financial teachings, we also have to take into account where our faith is. Okay? So do I actually have the faith to step out in this way? Let's think about Peter stepping out on the water. So he puts his coat on before he gets out of the boat. You and I might go, well, there's a good chance I'm going to sink, so why would I put my coat on? Right? You don't put your coat on when you're getting into the swimming pool unless you're doing the polar ice plunge. And so we have to think about that when we look at our finances. Why do I say this? Because my challenge to you is that where you are today is not where you will be a year from now, okay? But the fact of the matter is, if we're not honest about where we are today, we'll probably still be here a year from now. If I want to get my muscles into better shape, I can't just show up tomorrow at CrossFit. You guys have heard Grant's amazing story of his first time at CrossFit several years ago. It ended in vomit. Let's just put it that way, okay? So sometimes we, this is what we do with finances. We show up and we're like, what is the hardest thing I can do? I'm here for it. And then it doesn't happen and we're going, I guess God's not a provider. But the measure of your faith matters. So my challenge to you is to be honest with yourself about where you are in your faith related to your finances. My second challenge is that you don't stay there. Amen? I'm going to give you a really personal example of this. So, I don't know, seven, six years ago or so, Grant started on this quest to really learn how to partner our finances with God. And at the time, I was not motivated to do this, okay? So for all of you guys that are married, uh, you're welcome. I'm going to give you a very intricate, you know, close eye, behind-the-scenes picture of what it's like when two people are at different levels of faith in their finances. And so uh, he's like reading all these books, like just a machine, like eating all these books and talking about it. And I'm like, this is so great. I could care less. This was my feeling about it. But of course, I'm just being a good wife. I'm listening and I'm not saying I don't care about this because that would be rude. And so about two years goes by and he comes to me and he says, babe, uh, side note, We have always been really faithful tithers. I've always just found it fun to tithe, so we've always been consistent 10 percenters, okay? He comes to me and he says, I think we're supposed to tithe 20 percent. And I felt for a moment like I was drowning, and uh, I was like, oh, oh, okay. And he said, I want you to think about it, pray about it, make sure you feel like that's what God is saying. I'm like, 20 percent, who does that? Like, weirdos do that, right? So I'm like, okay, so I pray about it, and I felt like God said, this is going to be good for you. I want you to go on this journey. At the time, we could afford the 20%, but it was like, that's my Disney money. That's how I felt about it, okay, if we can just be like really honest uh, and vulnerable for a moment. And so I said, I prayed about it, and I said, okay, I think we should do this. I think it'll be good for us. So I started writing our tithe checks for 20%, and it was like an adventure with God. It was like all these things I started learning and experiencing, and it was so fun. I was like, this is awesome. And then a few months down the road, Grant says, all right, I think it's time for us to start tithing 30%. And if I felt like I was drowning at 20, I felt like I was being waterboarded when he said 30. It was like, I'm I'm sorry, what did you just say? I thought we were like high-fiving ourselves for being like super faith-filled people at 20, and I'm going 30, I'm tapping out. Like, how do you cry uncle, you know, in a marriage and conversation about finances? And so I said, well, let me pray about it. And I prayed about it, and all I'm hearing is a big fat no, do not do this. Not because of any reason besides I think my faith was not at the place where I could trust God for that, okay? 
And so I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it, I'm reading the scripture, I'm trying to do all this stuff, and it's just like something's not sitting right. So we would talk about it, and I said, all right, Grant, here's the deal. If you really believe this is God, I will, like, come on board, I'll submit to you, I'll say, yes, we can do this together. When I say submit, our personal view of a kingdom marriage is that we mutually submit to each other, right? That we both have to be in agreement to do something. It's, it's, uh, that's the way that God intends it to be. And so I'm going, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to agree, I'm going to get behind you. Okay. So I start writing the tithe checks for 30%, and y'all, it was awful. Awful. Grant can attest. It was like I would write the check, and I would just feel like, by the third month, I was like, do I hate God? What is happening to me? Of course, I don't. But I was, I, something was going in my spirit, and I'm like, what is this? So I came back to him, and I said, can I just be honest with you? I don't think I have the faith to do this. I think it's actually causing bitterness to come up in my heart. And I discovered, we're going to put this on the screen, but I discovered the beauty of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, when it says that God loves a cheerful giver. What I discovered through this process is that God is more interested in the state of your heart and how you give than he is about the dollar that you give. Amen? And I think sometimes we mistake this in our church world because we're listening to so many different people with so many different levels of faith and they're all basically telling you to do it like them that sometimes we can get swept away in that. And so for me, as I started praying and said, God, what do you want me to do? We actually decided to go to start tithing 10% again for that season. And, um, and it actually took at some level more faith for Grant to say yes to a 10% than it took for him to say yes to 30%. It's just, it's the journey with God. And so since that season of time, what we do is every several months, we come back to the Lord and say, what do you want me to give now? Just in case you're wondering. And we adjust it accordingly. And one of the things that God was saying is, I want you to tithe 10% and then have money set aside where you can give to other ministries and stuff like that. So it was like, yes, Lord, at some level that required more faith than the 20% because we had to be stewarding the money we were setting aside. Are you guys tracking with me? So the measure of our faith absolutely is imperative to how we step out with God in conversation and in obedience with our finances. If you hear nothing else from me today, what I want you to hear is how important it is to be honest about where you are. It's, there's no shame involved in it. There's no condemnation. It's, it's kind of like when I haven't been to the gym for four months, I can't be surprised that I'm not going to be able to lift a 50-pound dumbbell without feeling like I'm dying, right? Why? Because I'm being honest about my progress, my, my situation, where I'm at. Do I want to stay there? No. But the starting point is honesty. Amen? All right, so speaking of tithing, let's talk about tithing. I know everybody's like so excited to hear thoughts about tithing. Um, but I felt like we wanted to sort of build up in this series before we talked about tithing because the idea about God with our finances, tithing is like one-tenth, well, that was a no pun intended, quite literally. But tithing is a small portion of the whole picture of when we look at our finances with God, right? And so I didn't want to start with it. I didn't want it to be at the beginning of the series because it's really not about tithing. It's more about our heart. But when we're talking about tithing, I want us to get really specific today and talk about what does God think about it. All right, here we go. The Old Testament, okay, this is where we get the idea of tithing. You guys familiar with this? I'm sure you guys have all heard these scriptures. If we put down on paper everybody's opinion about what God thinks about tithing, we probably have a number of differing opinions. But we have this idea that God expects us to give 10%, and if we don't give 10%, then he's going to send the devourer to come. Because Malachi 3.8 says something to that effect. 
But here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as a straight 10% tithe. You may not know that, but it's true. So if you're a note taker and you're interested, look at Numbers 18. They're not going to be on the screen. Numbers 18, 21 through 24, and then Deuteronomy 14, 22 through around 30 is going to talk about these three different tithes that the Israelites would give. The first one, they would give yearly, and it was to the Levites. It was their support. So think when we tithe to a church and then the church employs people. So essentially the employees of the church are living off of the tithe. That's what it was like in the Old Testament. That was the first one. Then you had another 10% tithe that went to the feasts and festivals. And then every third year you had another 10% tithe that went to pay for the poor. So in general, you were giving away around, not great at math, so around 23% of your yearly income to the church at the time, to, the, to God, um, and the Old Testament. On top of those three tithes, you also have 10 separate offerings. 10. Okay, here's what they are. The first fruits offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the drink offering, the food offering, the new moon offering, and then the every time you have another kid offering. So if you counted it up, you know, and you were not sending a whole lot, so you weren't racking up that one, and you weren't having a ton of kids, the average person was giving away to God, if you did all of these offerings, something like 50% of their yearly income. Now, a lot of this was crops and produce. Grant was good to math check me that not all crops yield at the same time. But if you think about it, our perspective of what God is saying for a 10% tithe was based on something not entirely accurate. Okay? So, I love how Jim Baker, he talks about this in the When Heaven Invades Your, Your Finances book we've been talking about. But he has this quote. I love this. He said, tithing gets presented in the church as hush money to the mafia. Right? That if he says it like this, if you don't pay God, if you don't pay up, God will send Guido the devourer to come and break your knees and devour your crops. And he says, uh, this is, and I love this quote, he says, this is from the old covenant because in the new covenant, you're not blessed by your behavior, you're blessed by Jesus' behavior. So we have to look at the old covenant versus the new covenant when it comes to our financial system. In the old covenant, you give God all these different things. You're constantly paying out. When the temple was, like, was there and they would go in the temple, they were constantly paying stuff. I've told you guys this before. They had to pay an entrance fee. They had to pay to buy the animals sometimes. It was a lot of money was going on. But then the rest of their money was kind of for them. In the New Testament, in the new covenant, everything we have belongs to God. So whether you're giving 10%, 50%, 80%, you're like John Wesley, you're giving 90% away, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're in obedience with God and your heart is responding correctly. So in the old covenant, what we see in tithing, A, is not really what we thought, and B, it doesn't imply what we thought it implied. If you want to believe that you're cursed for not tithing, then you have to put yourself under all of the tithes and offerings of the Old Testament. Think about it. If you want to believe that, so, so let's look at it this way. We either believe Jesus took all the punishment for our sin, or we don't. We can't believe that he took all the punishment for our sin, but he also is punishing me if I don't tithe. Why? Because that is double-minded. 
It's challenging, I know. You guys are like, yippee, I don't have to tithe. Not necessarily, um, but we're gonna talk about why you tithe in the new covenant and why it's important. What we have to understand is break off this mentality that God is like nitpicking down like with a little ledger like Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, you rounded down on your 10% of this week's income, you know, ticks against you. I'm going to hold up that blessing that you need. Oh, you had an emergency surgery and you couldn't pay your tithe this week. Well, you know, I mean, like that's what we think sometimes that God is like, but I'm telling you, that is not how he is. He either put all the punishment for our sins on Jesus or he didn't. And you have to decide if he did. And if he did, then why are we putting ourselves back under a punishment that doesn't actually exist? All right. Questions I get all the time about tithing. Here's the first one. Uh, Will God withhold from me if I don't tithe? Is God going to withhold from me? Because there's biblical statements in the Old Testament that say this, okay? But in the New Testament, we're in a different covenant, remember? God is not withholding from you if you don't tithe. My opinion, my perspective, is that we are actually stepping out from under the awareness of his provision when we don't tithe. It might be semantics to you, but it's not God saying, oh, you can't get that because you didn't give your, you know, you didn't pay in. It's not that. It's that we are actually not looking for his provision. We're not open to it. We're not submitting to it. A couple of reasons why we don't tithe. There's three of them I'm going to talk about. Two of them are wrong. I'm going to let you guess which ones they are, okay? The first one is fear. Sometimes we don't tithe because we're afraid we're not going to have enough. Very valid thought. Right, we're zeroing out, math is a zero sum, not kingdom math and not quick math in my mind, but uh, you know, in God's mind, it doesn't work like that, but in the earth, right, if there's $100 and you spend $100, what do you have? Nothing. So we're zeroing it out and we're going, I'm afraid I'm not gonna have enough, so I can't tithe because it doesn't add up on the paper. That's one reason why we don't tithe. The second one might be control. Lots of reasons why we would control, but because we're in charge of our money in our minds, we haven't totally bought into the stewardship concept. And so we don't want to. We don't feel like we need to. And then the third option is because God has said for this season, this is not where I want your money to go. So pop quiz, which of those is the right one? It's a thing that God might tell you, don't tithe for this season because I want you to pay for this over here. And in my opinion, and this is just, this is like one of those moments where I'm saying, this is my perspective, you don't have to share it, that I would need like an angel to come to me and say, you know, thus says the Lord, don't tithe, Rachel. And if he wants us to do that, I'm like, you can send that, Lord. Because my heart is that I want to be an open, flowing vessel. And what I know is when I'm not tithing, I'm also not letting God flow through me. It has a direct connection in my spirit and on my mind. It's not because God is demanding your tithe. It's because it opens your spirit to flow with him. Does that make sense, the difference? So is God going to withhold from you? No, he's not. What about your spouse? Okay, there is a reason why money is one of the top reasons people get divorced. Because it is really hard to navigate two completely different backgrounds. So when I grew up, I grew up in a home that was completely debt-free. That was how my parents lived. They actually both grew up in very meager means, but they lived in homes that it was like debt-free. And my dad would always say, if you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. I think maybe a house would be an exception to that. But that was his mentality. So delayed gratification was the mantra of our family. Like, we're just going to keep saving until you can pay cash for it, including cars. And I actually, like all of us, thought that my home life was the normal way everybody lived. And when I got older, I realized not everybody lives this way. And so when you get married, depending on the background of how your family used finances and talked about money, it's going to affect your marriage. It just will. 
So what do you do if you and your spouse aren't on the same page about tithing, for example, or giving, or how you do your budget? I want to encourage you, unity and obedience is the most important thing to the Lord. Unity together and obeying what he's asking you to do. So I shared that story with you guys um, at the beginning about Grant and I because I want you to see that even people who you would think are on the completely same page are not always on the same page sometimes. And the goal is not that you have a completely um, united thought about it. The goal is that you know how to honor one another, love one another, and come to a middle ground that makes sense before the Lord. Amen? Money should not be a huge contention point in our relationships. It is sometimes, but if it is, you need to dig deeper and say, okay, why? Sometimes one spouse is really adamant that God is going to be displeased with them and withhold from them, and that's why they feel like they need to tithe, and the other spouse is in the, maybe a different category. You know, it's like there's, there's different motivations. So I tell people all the time when they ask me this question, here's my challenge to you. Begin with understanding, seeking understanding, and trying to be a united front together. If you'll start the conversations from that place, you'll be able to get to a deeper place in your conversations about money, right? If I'm saying to Grant, why do you want to tithe this much? What is God saying to you about that? And I'm listening and I'm trying to learn that. I'm trying to do my best. You see what I'm saying? Then it becomes something where the kingdom marriage thrives even around something we don't have the same opinion about. Um, Okay, Next question, uh, do I tithe before or after my taxes? Anybody ever wondered this? Like, what does God think before or after my taxes? You don't have to raise your hand, but a lot of people, including myself, yeah. Different seasons where I've been like, God, do you care? Does it matter? Am I not being as faith-filled if I tithe after my taxes? Am I, you know? And my challenge to you, if this is a question you have, is you need to take it up with the Lord. Because again, the motivation of our tithe The generosity of our heart is the most important thing, by far more important to the Lord than the dollar amount that you give. How do I know this? A number of reasons, but one of which, when the widow comes into the temple with her two little mites, basically like 25 cents, you know, or something like that, she's got a handful of of coins, and she puts them in the offering bucket, and Jesus brings all of his disciples around. He's like, guys, guys, look at this. This is amazing. And he's, he, she is doing this, the very mundane, normal thing, hoping probably not to be seen because of how many people are giving much bigger checks, right? And Jesus is pointing out the state of her heart to give to the Lord is what brought him so much joy. So when we're talking about do we tithe and all the specifics about it, the question is not how much can I get away with? How much can I keep for myself, Lord? The question is, God, how do I be in line with you and how do I do that in a very open and free way? So what about offerings? Tithes and offerings are different. I read to you guys the 10 different offerings of the Old Testament. So your tithe, the name tithe, the word, actually means 10%. That's where it comes from. But I want to challenge you. If you've only tithed 10% your whole life, maybe this is the time to like change it up a little bit and go on an adventure with God and see what might happen. Because as I shared with you guys several weeks ago, money, as the, as the Kingdom Finances book talks about, money is the kindergarten of the spiritual life. Money is the avenue that God teaches us how to use our faith through. So I think we need to let God challenge us at different times, amen? We need to let him stretch us. We need to let him confound our thinking so that we can fall more in love with him and be more like him. But our offerings are actually something different than our tithe. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever given an offering. It's like a love offering. You know, sometimes we have speakers come in and we might take up an offering for them. That, if we're going on to like, you know, tit-for-tat semantics, an offering is not the same thing as your tithe. Your tithe, what you're giving is what you give to your local church to support the vision that God has put on that house. 
This is why, in my opinion, the other reason why it's important to tithe. We want to be free-flowing before the Lord, but we also want to send our dollars like army men. Okay, so this is the thing that Grant and I always think about. It's like when we're giving a check to something, we like to envision each little dollar like, like saying yes to the Lord. I'm going to like, you know, impact the kingdom of God on a mission and I'm going to fund whatever it is that they're asking for. So if it's a speaker or a ministry or a charity and we give our money, we're not just giving because we have pity on them. It's not about that at all. We're giving because we're saying, I want my money to amplify the vision that God has given you. So when you tithe at Bethel, that's what you do. You're amplifying the vision that God has given us. We have our tithes pay for a couple of our staff. They pay for different events that we do. We actually support different people. We give money to different local ministries. We also have a benevolence fund that we give money to those of us in the room that have need. And also outside of that, that's what your tithe is going to. Grant and I personally don't take a salary from uh, leading the church. And that's a whole other area of going on a journey with God and letting him stretch you and grow you. And that was another area where he came back to me and said, um, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, I'm sorry, say what? <laughs> I think you put the voltage up too much on those defibrillator patterns when you put them on me, you know? And, uh, and it took me a long time, just being honest, it took me a long time to understand what God was doing. But the goal is not that we just immediately understand. The goal is that we stay connected so that God can work it out in us, right? Sometimes it's coming out from mammon's influence like we talked about a few weeks ago. Sometimes it's letting go of the poverty spirit like we talked about a few weeks ago. Sometimes it's because we're selfish people. There's all kinds of reasons, but if we can stay connected to the Lord, we can work it out. All right, so I know you guys are like, thank you, Rachel, for punching me in the cheek, and I would say to you the words of Jesus, it's time to turn the other cheek, because now we're going to talk about the other side of the practicals of finances with God. We're going to talk about debt, so you're welcome, I'm sorry, uh, it's going to be okay, but I feel like the church does not talk enough about what is good debt, what is bad debt, what does God think about debt, okay? I'm sure you're catching that all of this comes back to you in relationship with God, talking it out with him. And what God says for you to do is what you do. Amen? But there are types of debt that are not good. So if we, we're going to look at like five or six different types of debt. But if we think about our money as God's money, if we come under this, the stewardship mentality, then when we go into debt, we have to feel that God is okay with his money paying for whatever thing we bought in debt. Does that make sense? Did you know statistics say that eight out of every 10 Americans is in some sort of debt? Now you might say, well, that's not a problem. Fine by me. And if you grew up in my home, you'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> when I got married, I learned that some families are very comfortable with large amounts of debt. And I was like, I honestly didn't know that was a thing. And so wherever you are on that spectrum, the goal is not to be like somebody else. The goal is to feel like you are in line with who God is saying for you to be. A couple of types of debts that are really bad, and I'm just going to say this one is really bad, like quick loan, quick cash kind of debts. I know sometimes we get desperate, but the interest rates on those are so high. And I feel like, and you usually are only loaning a smaller amount of money, and I feel like God has so much other ability to provide for us when we're honest, when we're vulnerable with the people around us in our community that are much better options than quick cash kind of loans. If you ever find your yourself in a place where you need like a quick cash loan, come and talk to us. We can connect you with different resources to help you because usually those companies are built on robbing you from something because you're in a desperate place, right? Desperation almost never leads us to make good choices. The second type of debt is credit card debt. Okay, I punched you, it's fine, we're gonna live, okay? Credit card debt. 
is really, really a challenging thing. It's a tricky slope. But I want you to think about it like this. The interest that you pay on your credit card debt, is that the best use of God's money? Probably not, right? I'm going to go ahead and say no. That's my personal opinion. I know there are different things that come up that we get in a bind, and so I'm not trying to say, you know, we've had different things happen where like hospital bills or something like that, and you're kind of, that's just the situation that you're in. So I'm not trying to say every possible dollar on your credit card is a problem. What I want to challenge you to think is when you're spending money, are you spending money in partnership with the Holy Spirit or in partnership with trying to feed your flesh? A lot of times we get into credit card debt because we're feeding our flesh because we feel like we are entitled to something, we deserve something, we deserve a break, we whatever, and then we end up pay, not paying attention and it ends up being a big problem. When we got a credit card for the first time, um, we wanted to do like, we wanted to get points, we wanted a card that we could get a benefit from, right? Those are the best kind to have. But I was so scared we were gonna end up in credit card debt because our margins and our budget were so narrow. This is what I did. I would charge whatever, $22.12 at Target. I would go sit in my car with the receipt and I would transfer right then from my debit account to my credit card the dollar on that receipt. Why? Because I wanted to train myself that when I swipe this plastic, it feels the same as swiping that plastic. Right? I wanted my mentality to be, if I'm going to put something on my credit card, I'm actually af I can afford paying for it right now. Eventually, I was able to make that like a weekly thing, and then I could pay it all off. But the thing is, with credit card debt, we need to make sure we are paying it off each month. I'm harping on this like a mama, but the reason is because if we're not careful about this side of our life, if we're not teaching our kids about this kind of stuff, we end up being enslaved to the debtor instead of being able to partner with God. When we're enslaved to the debtor because we owe so much on our credit card or whatever, then we, if God says, hey, I want you to do this, we physically can't do it because we're also tied up over here. Does that make sense? So talking about how you get into debt, we'll talk about how to get out of it in a minute. Student loans. Okay. All right. Um, so I heard this said recently. I thought it was very thought-provoking. The question was, is it okay in God's eyes to get a student loan? And this was the answer this person said. They said, um, if you can pay off that loan with the job you're going to get with that degree in a five-year time period, then probably. And I was like, ouch, right? Ouch, that's a very short amount of time to pay very large amounts of debt. But the thing is, we have told ourselves having a degree from a certain place is the most important thing to open doors for us. It might be helpful. If you want to be a doctor, you have to have a degree. I mean, there are certain things, right, that this is important for. But we need to be honest about how we're entering into that. Here's what I think. This is what the picture the Lord gave me. Here's how you teach your kids about student debt, okay? When they get to high school, start giving them an allowance. Here's 50 bucks, whatever, $10, whatever you can afford. And then make them give back to you like 30% of that and just make sure they know it's for their student debt in the future. That's what it's like. I'm going to pay, I'm going to get a paycheck, and I'm going to give a chunk of it over here for the next 15, 20 years while I pay this off. Now, the college experience, and I had a great one, and I'm even saying this, the college experience is not worth paying for it through your adulthood. Amen? I know that we're in a place in life where it's like sometimes you have no other option but a student debt. But I really want to challenge you guys, if you, and I know most of us are done with this phase of life, but when you're consulting with people who are in school age, when they're looking forward, make sure they understand what they're partnering with and the longevity of what they're partnering with. Because I believe there are other options available if we genuinely partner with the Lord. It might take you longer to get your degree, right? But you can do it. You can do it by paying for it in other ways. So 
I have some friends uh, when we lived in Texas who felt like God had called them to go overseas to do mission work. And the organization that we were in, you couldn't have any type of debt because you were uh, being funded by supporters, and so they didn't want anybody's support going to pay off debt, which is brilliant, right? Makes sense. And so this couple felt like God had said, I want you to go to this nation and move there and serve as missionaries. And they weren't, they had a, like, I think it was like $50,000 of student debt. It was a huge amount. And so they were stuck. God has given a calling on their life. How are you going to do that? Because you're paying for something in the past, right? So they decided, God, partner with us. How do we do this? Help us. And God helped them make a plan, and they were able to pay off their entire enormous student debt within three years. One of the things that they did was their date night was the dollar whopper at Burger King for those whole three years. Every single week, that was their date night. They had kids. So you might be saying, well, I deserve to go to Cheesecake Factory or whatever. To them, it was like, no, every extra dollar has to go to pay this off so that we can fulfill the calling that God has put on our life. Dollar Whopper, dollar soda, date night, that might be something that we need to do at times where we're trying to really make sure we can pay down that. There is so much that God wants to do to partner with you to um, knock out the debt that's in your life. I genuinely believe that. Um, we're gonna come back to that in a second, but the other, two, other three types of debt. Okay, let's talk about Christmas debt for a second. Okay, I did not know, again, I grew up in a debt-free house, so I did not know that people went into debt for Christmas presents, and I hope that's not anyone in the room, and if it's you, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you, but that was like news to me. I didn't know that people charged in December and then paid through like sometimes April the Christmas debt. So I'm gonna give you a life-saving pro tip right now. Christmas is going to happen this year on December 25th, and that's about seven months away. So if you're proactive, you can actually pay cash for all your Christmas presents, and then you're done on December 26th, and you don't have to worry about it. It's like amazing, right? I think what happens is we, we are so exhausted by paying it off from the first few months that we don't want to save for it. And then we're surprised that on the same date every year since Jesus was born, this is going to happen. And then it's like, what do I do? My kids need a Christmas. I also want to say this to you. It's my personal opinion. The best thing you can do for your kids is be honest about the economic status that you live in. Because it helps kids to understand what types of jobs have different types of income and how that's going to affect their life. So if they don't want to live in that economic status, hey, buddy, you better start studying. You better get that scholarship. You better go get a job that can, you know what I'm saying? If you bring that all in together, I think it only benefits our kids. We're not helping them when we say, yes, you can have the hoverboard and the iPhone and I'll secretly be paying for it until next July, you know, and then you can act like this is not where we are in life. Your kids will be so thankful when you have honest conversations with them. When they're little, they don't care, right? Give them a box and that wrap it up, and they're like, yes, thank you, Santa, you know, but when they get older, if you will have that conversation with them, hey, listen, this is how much money I have budgeted for your Christmas presents. We actually do this with our kids. When they're like, you know, I go, okay, send me your list, and they go through the catalog, and every single item is starred, and I'm like, guys, let's have an honest conversation. This is the dollar amount I plan to spend on each of you, and they're like, oh, so you might want to go back and get out your calculator and start adding it up and then reselect on that list what's the most important to you. It helps them to understand in the longevity of their life. All right, um, car debt and house debt. Car debt, this one's hard. We've been in this conversation right now a ton. Um, but what I want you to think about with these two types is, is there an appreciative value or not? And again, the other question is, what is God saying for my dollars to be spent towards, right? A house is typically a good investment, typically, not always, but can be. 
If you've never heard this before, the general rule is you should not have a house payment that's more than a quarter of your monthly salary. When I learned that, I was like, well, that is the most simplistic, easy thing. And then we bought a house that was more than that, and it was very, very tough. So I can attest to the quarter salary component. Okay. So last two thoughts about debt. Is it an appreciating asset? Is this the right place to put God's money? Obviously, we can um, have debt where it's like leveraging for business and that kind of stuff too. That's a whole different category. All right, I want to talk about one last component. We're doing great. Um, let's talk about budgeting. Now, punch, punch. No, just kidding. This is not going to hurt. Um, uh, okay, let's talk about budgeting for a second. I don't want to tell you guys this is how you should have your budget because honestly, for every one of us, it's going to look different. Some of you probably feel very impressed to do the Dave Ramsey thing and be on like a cash system only, which is amazing. Some of you may be like, we just kind of reconcile at the end and hope for the best. And, you know, there's some room to grow in that. Um, but the thing with a budget that I want to challenge you guys in is this. Proverbs 21, we're going to put this on the screen. Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who spends hastily comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So there's this idea, I think, and this kind of goes back to the beginning when we talked about the measure of faith. There's this idea in the charismatic Christian world, in the faith-filled Christian world, where um, God is going to provide, and he will, and God's going to just bring resource to us, and he will, but we think sometimes that it's like we can sit and do nothing, and he will do that. Our personal conviction, and what I believe is the message of the Bible, is that what God wants to do is amplify the work of your hands. He wants to amplify the plan that you have. Other scriptures, right? Commit our plan to the Lord. And so when we partner with God and say, okay, Lord, I want a plan so that I can partner with you. Maybe you're saying, I want to change of how I tithe. So God, I need a plan of how that's going to happen. When we partner with the Lord, the resource of heaven actually comes to help you to accomplish that plan when it's God's heart. When we don't have a plan, it's almost like, think about it like a toggle switch, right? If, we have a, if I have a cup here for you, it's going to receive. If it's to the side, it's not going to receive. If we have a plan, it's like putting the cup in the receiving position where we have to, we, things begin to come. Here's the kicker. You have to follow through with the plan, right? So if you're telling the Lord, I want to get to a place where I can tithe whatever regularly. I want that to be a part of my heart where I can regularly give 10% to the church. But then when money comes in, you don't have it to set aside, then we're not actually partnering with him. Does that make sense? So something we are starting to do in our family that I think is really helpful is doing like a weekly meeting with you and your spouse or you and your kids or you by yourself, however it works, who you live with, where you go over what you're actually doing in your life. So we went to Florida recently, and um, on that trip, I was listening to the memoir of a comedian from the 80s that I really like. And I was really surprised that he had a whole ch chapter about these nine questions that he asks himself. And so he has, uh, in the last 30 years, he's done this every single week. He has nine categories, his relationship with his wife, with his kids, his health, his weight is one of the categories, his career, I forget what the other ones were. And then each week, he literally grades himself like a school teacher, how he's doing in each of those categories. And he said, what I discovered was, if I can see the choices that I'm making, then I can make sure I'm becoming the person I wanna become. If I'm not paying attention, then my goals are like wishful thinking right? And so my goals become wishful thinking, and I may never actually be getting to them. What we want to do to really be effective sons and daughters of God, to actually impact the world around us, is to have a plan to hold ourselves accountable to it and actually do the thing God is dreaming inside of you. Amen? 
where it's not just a pipe dream or a hopeful thing, but it's an actuality you can wrap your hands around. So another type of way you can do this if you don't want to do the grading system is do a color coding system. Pick a couple of categories. If tithing is something you feel like God is calling you to do right now, which I hope it is for your, for your own heart's sake, then maybe it's like, how am I doing in tithing? How am I doing you know, with my relationship with this person? Put your category down and then color code them. Green obviously would mean things are going good. I made progress in this area. Yellow would be I thought about it. I maybe did one thing, but I'm not actually making progress. And then obviously red would be there's no movement in this. I think if you will begin to chart what you do and what you spend, you, like on a weekly thing, not just a monthly thing, it will help you build habits to support what God wants to do. If you are building habits to support what God wants to do, then the plan he's putting in your life, he can actually get behind you to bless. So let's talk super specific in finances. If you've got debt you want to pay down and you make a plan for that, keep yourself accountable to how you're doing with that plan. And I'm telling you, you will begin to see resource come in. Maybe not tomorrow, it might take a little while, but as you continue on that plan, the help of heaven will help you. And then you have to do the hard thing of actually put the help of heaven towards the plan you made with the Lord, right? That's how we steward, that's how we grow, that's how we build that muscle, amen? All right, so my last thought for you, and then we're gonna pray and wrap up. The goal of doing finances with God is quite literally doing finances with God. So the goal that I want you to hear in all the thoughts about the practicality side is that you need to be partnering with the Lord. If you struggle with hearing God, then, and that's okay, a lot of us do, then make it over the course of time. We used to do this thing when we were first hearing the Lord that was really helpful where we do a 10-day journal. So we'd ask the same question to God every single day for 10 days and then look back and see is there a theme in what he's saying? Because it takes time to be able to hear God's voice, right? A lot of us don't just wake up tomorrow and just instantly know God is saying, tithe this much money. It takes time. It has to work itself through your system. God knows that. That's a good thing. So my challenge to you is just make sure you're partnering with him in each and everything. Amen? All right, let's pray. And if you need uh, additional prayer after this, please come find us over here. We'd love to pray for you. But um, I just want to wrap us up with prayer this morning. So, Father, we just want to be on fire, radical people who are partnering with you in every single way. So, God, I'm asking that you bless the plans of those that are listening to this and those that are in the room as they are uniting themselves with you, listening to you. God, I am asking for supernatural debt to be paid off, God. We are asking for those that are, that are uh, making a plan to pay off debt that you would send the resource of heaven to help them accomplish that with speed and with precision. Lord, I'm asking that you would draw us to a place where our budgets, our finances, our tithes, everything is so in line with your heart for us that we... Um, that we can just be really good stewards of everything you've called us to be. So I bless every person in this room to have a stewardship mentality of their finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week for Father's Day.